So this morning, we're going back into our study in Revelation, been away for a few weeks, you know, um, and we're excited to get back. This is our 66th teaching in the book of Revelation, and, uh, you know, that not including the weeks off for Easter and Christmas and all of that stuff, started this study, this journey back in 2019. How many of you were here when we started the book of Revelation in 2019? That's good. Now, how many of you are new to our church within the last 12 months? Raise your hand if you're within the last 12 months. So that's a lot of you. Um, we're so, so happy that you are here. And it was the same way uh, uh, the first service and still with many that we know who have not been back. And so the church has definitely grown uh, and that's a good thing. And so we're going to be wrapping this journey up within the next few months through the book of Revelation, but it is a blessing. And so why don't you grab your Bibles? We'll read first and then we'll kind of uh, have a little bit of an intro as we dive in and we're going to finish chapter 20 today. So we made it down through verse 10 last time, touched on verse 11. We're going to pick it up on verse 11 and then we're going to wrap up chapter 20. So if you're there with me, Revelation Chapter 20, here's pages, verse 11, say amen. amen. Okay, do I need to wait? Everybody good? Good. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged according to, excuse me, and they were judged according to, each one, excuse me, according to his works. I'm excited to get ahead. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, Lord, we do thank you this morning for the word that you've given us, this text, Lord God, as we know that all scripture is inspired by you and profitable for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today from this text right where we need lord god individually as well as what we need collectively lord god that we would individually continue to be conformed uh, into your image and that we collectively lord as a congregation will be built up lord to represent you in this community lord we love you we thank you this morning and we pray that lord you would remove the things that hinder from our hearts and our minds and even the distractions from this room that we may be taught by your spirit in jesus name Amen. Amen. My son said to me this morning, or maybe it was last night, I can't remember. He was finding out where I was finishing up, and he said, I can't wait to get to chapter 21. And I said, yeah, I'm right there with you. I can't wait to get to chapter 21. But chapter 20 is very, very, very necessary. Now, um, if you remember, since we've been going through the book of Revelation, many of you have been here. You know that it comes with a divine outline. We're in the third part of that outline, the things which happen after this, the things which take place after the church age, literally. Um, John saw those things starting in verse 4. 
um, all the way through to the end of the book. And, and so it's beautiful to see all of these things that have been given to us. We know that now in chapter 20, uh, we are come to the end, if you will, of the millennial reign of Christ. And we, we know the chronology of all of this as we've been looking at it. Now looking at what I call today, it's judgment day is what I would title this. And if you remember, one of the things that I've been uh, pointing out to you as we've gone through the book of Revelation is the implied lead up to these things. You see, many people like to think of the book of Revelation as a book of things, those things which are way off in the future, those things that um, will, will just come out of nowhere. But the world system that we've been looking at, that's been judged, uh, as we've been looking at it from chapter 6, obviously through chapter 18, as we saw the tribulation period, y'all remember the rules, nod and smile if you're with me or we'll be here all day, all right? Um, all of those things, that world system which is being judged and has been being judged, that the beast will control, the beast we sometimes call the Antichrist, this world system which he controls, um, that that system will not be implemented all at once. It seems that the framework for that system must be in place in order for him to move as quickly as he does during the tribulation period, the tribulation lasting seven years. Y'all remember that, right? And so this system, this world system is in place. It would seem that the framework, the things necessary for him to operate that system would be being put in place as it, time leads up to those events. Does that make sense? You remember the book of Revelation chapter 13 on the screen, verse 16 and 17, where it says he causes all small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. That means all in society to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. Y'all remember these things, right? We call it the mark of the beast. And no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so literally the population of the globe if you will, are being controlled at that time by the beast. And if anyone refuses the mark, they're excluded, as we would say today, canceled, if you will, and unable to conduct business and life as normal, the things necessary for living. And now when this comes, it, it, I don't even know if it will be as something that catches people completely off guard. In fact, people may think that the measures are necessary and needful for security, obviously for livelihood, maybe even for protection from pestilences, pandemics. You see, it seems as though the world is, moves in a direction where the world is able to control people through fear and convince people through fear of things that may or may not be fully needful and People tend to accept those things way more than, than uh, you, would, you would think. In fact, I've uh, often said that, you know, those saints that come into salvation prior to the tribulation, the pre-tribulation saints, those of us who have faith now, having not seen the Lord, will be an amazing group in the kingdom because we walked in a time where we literally had to walk by faith. I'm beginning to think that one of the more highly decorated groups might be the tribulation saints who literally will lose their life refusing the world system. And so the world system gains control, and then they bully people into compliance, it would seem. It's very interesting to me today that the church is the only institution being bullied, if you will, as we've seen 
Uh, my brother in, uh, in Canada, I think the uh, Edmonton Providence is still in jail waiting for his trial for opening his church. He barricaded his church this past week. My hero of the week is a pastor also from Canada, from the Calgary area of Canada, when the police showed up at his church on Easter Sunday morning to shut down his service, he actually threw them out and told them they didn't have the right to be there and don't come back without a warrant. I said, that's my hero for the week. <laughs> As I told you, the church being the most critical institution upon the planet. Now, remember, Jesus told us that the things that we would see that would come leading up to the end. In fact, he gave us the birthing pains we know in Matthew chapter 24, verses 7. He says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. We've seen those things in the last 100 years. We've seen um, all of those things intensify greater than they ever have before. Within the last 100 years or so, we've seen some of the worst pandemics and pestilences, the Spanish flu, various things like that. All of the things even that what we've been seeing, even last year with the locust plagues and, and all the stuff that we've seen. All these, remember, Jesus says, are the beginning of sorrows, the word meaning birth pains. Y'all remember these things, right? I'm working up to our text. <laughs> but he said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all, by all nations for my name's sake. Remember, Jesus says they will hate you because of him. And then many will be offended. That means made to stumble. Will betray one another. Well, actually, it says here, he said they will hate one another. And then, of course, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because things will get so difficult, uh, the very love people have for one another will begin to grow cold. But he who endures unto the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And we know that that gospel will be preached. It's being preached by the church It'll continue to be preached during the tribulation by the 144,000. Y'all remember those guys, chapter 7? By the two witnesses in chapter 11, y'all remember them? As well as by the two angels in chapter 16-ish, 14-ish, that will fly in the midst of heaven and warn people not to take the mark of the beast during the tribulation. And those who come to faith during the tribulation will be a witness. It'll be a very difficult time. And as we move in that direction, the world moves in that direction. I've been telling you the book of Revelation, as well as all the prophets, seem to tell us, listen, seem to tell us that the world is headed in this direction and it will not get better. And how many of you know that we are not here to make the world a better place? How many of you knew that? We're here to preach the gospel that souls may be saved, to live a life that brings honor and glory to God, that people might see Something in the world that reflects him. The Bible says, Jesus says, the church is the salt of the earth and it's the light of the world, which is why the church must continue and must remain, must be open. And so when your pastor and other pastors fight for that right, you have to understand. And don't let me ever, uh, I don't mean to ever offend anyone. That's not my, my heart. I love all of you and I'm thankful we're open that you can come as you are. You understand that? And you can come however you need to, but what we need to understand is that what pastors are fighting for is that no matter what happens, there is a way for us to gather and worship. And we did that last week in the parking lot. Tells me we can do that anywhere we ever have to. Amen? That was a wonderful thing. 
And I got to say this as we now get ready to move into our new section. The thing that we need to do more than anything else as disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't want to talk about Christians today. Christians are people who go to church on Sunday and put fish on the back of their cars. (laughs) Disciples are people who love Christ and every day is Sunday to them. Because when I get up tomorrow, I want to praise him. Okay? And so Jesus before the pandemic, was seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the church. During the pandemic, Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the church. The Bible seems to say that he ain't moved, he didn't switch to the left side, or he didn't leave the throne. And so I'm here to tell you that Jesus must be priority. He must be the one we worship. Our faith needs to be in him, not in a vaccine or anything else. But in Christ, these are things that we're going to be dealing with for a while. And we're going to learn how to deal with these things together and walk through this thing together. You understand? But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it doesn't matter what happens in the world. We need to press forward as a church. We need to be open and we need to be serving one another, loving one another, and being a witness in this community. And so as we get ready to look at this, we call it. It's judgment day in verse 11. We begin to look now at this scene where judgment is about to happen. And the first thing we're going to see is that the court is seated, if you will. And I want you to know that this judgment day is at least, y'all, at least a thousand years into the future. We know that, right? Because this judgment day takes place after a thousand-year literal reign of Jesus Christ, as we've seen in chapter 20, which takes place after a seven-year tribulation period in which he returns and defeats the enemy and establishes his kingdom. So this is at least a thousand years into the future because we don't know the Lord could come for us today, right? We know there's nothing prophetically that needs to happen before he comes. But it's also something that's been anticipated for more than 2,500 years. In fact, Daniel gave us, if you will, a glimpse ahead into this judgment day in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 on the screen. You can see it where Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place. Thrones, plural, we'll mention that later. And the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and their hair of, of his head, the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. His description here resembles a little bit Uh, of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 of Revelation. Notice his throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels burning like fire resembles what uh, Ezekiel saw. A fiery stream issued and came forth before him. A thousand, thousands ministered to him, which means a huge number that we really can't number, just a big number. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. We've seen those numbers before. The court notice was seated. Daniel describes it as a courtroom type of a picture. The court was seated. And notice Daniel also, as John does, says the books were open. Y'all see that there? It's a scene that is beginning to happen here. 
Daniel gave us a picture of another scene, not necessarily in a chronological order, but in the same chapter of Daniel, verse 13 through 14 on the screen, Daniel says, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. We know that is the Lord Jesus who says that he would return on the clouds. Revelation chapter 1, he's coming on the clouds. We sing the song sometime. Notice it says, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory. And a what, y'all? A kingdom. This scene seems to be out of chrono, uh, chronological order here. It says that all people, nations, and languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion because his kingdom will reign forever. Jesus will reign forever. Notice which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And so when you look at both Daniel and John here in the book of Revelation, you get the sense that these scenes are more amazing maybe than we realize. We underestimate the magnificent of these things as we've been viewing these things. Remember, one of the first scenes, if you will, we found back in Revelation chapter 5, we saw this beautiful ceremony. Y'all remember this, right? I call it the inauguration of Jesus Christ as King of kings and lords of lords. As they went through the formality in heaven of having an angel proclaim a, uh, a, a uh, question to all, who is able to take the scroll out of the Father's hands? How many of you remember that? No one was found in heaven or earth or beneath the earth. Therefore, Jesus, who presented himself as a lamb, stepped forward and was able to take the scroll, which is either the title deed to the earth or the document of his overall inheritance. And he begins to unleash the seals. And as he's opened them, judgment comes upon the earth. Y'all remember that in, in the tribulation period. Daniel, as we just read, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, seems to be a ceremony where Jesus comes to the throne of his father, receives an everlasting kingdom. Did y'all catch that? And then Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, seems to be the seating of a court for another ceremony to take place. A preview from the Old Testament of this scene, this ceremony. It's judgment day. Verse 11 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And I love that. The description of this particular throne is slightly different than the throne we saw back in chapter 4. Y'all remember chapter 4 when John got caught up in heaven? Y'all remember that, right? And he saw a throne and one sat on the throne. And if you remember that lightning and noises and flashes and the, beautiful of the, uh, the beauty of the colors and the scene that was there in heaven was magnificent. But here we see this great white throne, which is uh, also amazing to us, but maybe terrifying to those who are being judged and in fact, it says here that he saw this great right throne and him who sat on it. And the him who sat on it is God, we know. But it in fact could be that the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne to do the judging. We know that Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, y'all remember when we were reading through the seven letters to the churches. And he says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me, notice, on my what? As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, which is a very interesting picture because if you remember, as we were back up in uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, he says, I saw thrones and they sat on them at Jesus' kingdom being established. See, it may be on that day that Jesus is the one on the throne doing the judgment. It also may be that our position that day as spectators, as we're gathered there with them, may be on thrones we don't know. But we'll be there to view this scene as judgment is about to take 
place. And this judgment is something that has been coming for a long time, and we're going to see who's being judged in a moment. And so a great white throne, he saw the one that is sitting on it, he saw God, notice from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found, notice, no place for them. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all catch that? All right. It's very interesting as we begin to think about that. Now, most of the time, we think about that as being the people who are being judged, listen, who actually desire to escape, but there's nowhere for them to hide from the presence of the Lord. We know the Lord Jesus has eyes of flame of fire. He sees everything. We know that, right? In fact, it, we remember back in Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 6, if you remember uh, Revelation 6 as the tribulation was beginning, verse 14, it says, then, I, then the sky receded like a scroll and rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, noticed every slave, every free man. Remember, they hid themselves in caves and rocks and of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath notice of the who? That's always, I always love that, the wrath of the lamb. <laughs> For the great day notice of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? They don't repent. They actually seek to hide from the presence of him. So to some degree, that's coming into to view here. It says everything is being exposed on this day. It's like the, 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 the light is shining and everything that would like to hide is being exposed. I grew up in, in farm country. Y'all knew that. I grew up on a farm, and, and often uh, on the farm you see a log laying on the ground by itself, and it looks like there's nothing going on until you roll it over, and under it you see all kinds, a whole world of creepy things fleeing. <laughs> I left the farm and moved to Raleigh to go to college, and in the city it's a little different. There you just turn the lights on and all the stuff flee <laughs> in the farm rooms. Yes, at this point, the Lord turns the lights on, if you will, and everything desires to flee, but there's no place found for them. But not just that. Listen, it's not that just the people want to hide from the face of the one who is going to be doing the judgment, but literally the elements as we know them are being held together until this day. And it seems on this day, something takes place to transform even the physical elements that we know. 2 Peter 3, 7, Peter said it this way, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, Peter says that they're being preserved by the word, reserved for the day of judgment. Well, the word we know, the living word is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all things are held together by the word of his power, which is the Lord Jesus. The Bible says it, that Jesus, listen, created all things, and in him all things consist. And so he's holding it all together until this day which comes. And it seems that even the very elements are going to be transformed on this judgment day, which is why in chapter 21, glance at it, verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. In other words, on this judgment day, everything changes, and everything will shift, and everything wicked will be done away with as eternity is about to be set up. This judgment day, which the prophets have foretold, has finally come. And so who's being judged? Look at it with me. Verse 12, it says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. 
So the dead are being judged. Well, who are the dead? Well, the dead, if you remember, are those who were not a part of the first resurrection, if you will. Remember chapter 20, same chapter, weeks ago, verse 5, it says, The rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. This is uh, the first resurrection. So the dead are those who did not take part in the first resurrection. And what was the first resurrection? Those of us who have come to faith in this age right? Along with those who will come to faith during the tribulation, we will be resurrected, if you will, as a part of the body of Christ. But those in this age, listen, the dead are those who in this age have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. They've heard the gospel. They've rejected him. They followed the world as well as those who will, during the tribulation period, further reject him and not turn to him for faith. Along with, y'all remember, when Satan was loosed at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the uh, millennial reign of Christ, not if you remember that, he led a rebellion against the camp of the saints, and that rebellion was crushed. So that group who rebelled, along with all who have previously rejected Christ, are the dead who are now standing before God. And notice it's the small and it's the great. Did y'all catch that? Listen. On Judgment Day, it seems as though, it doesn't seem, it is true for us to understand that no earthly status matters. Whether the person was a king on earth, a global elite that made decisions behind the scenes under the lead of Satan to turn governments and change world events as we know them, down to those who... Uh, if you will, are slaves or, uh, or, or, or whatever, all who have rejected Christ will stand before God on that day and they will face judgment. Notice how this judgment's going to unfold. Listen to it very carefully. It says, as we look at this, it says that the books were open, plural. You catch that? Did you catch that? The books were open, plural. And then notice the wording says, and another book, singular, was opened. That book is the book of life, notice. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the notice books, plural. Did you catch the language and the change in the language as we went through that? There's two categories, if you will. There are, there's a category of books that are being mentioned, not titled. And then there is a book that is titled, which is the book of life that's mentioned. The dead are judged according to their works that are found, notice, in the books, plural. And this is something you got to catch. In other words, listen, everything that we do, the Bible seems to allude that the angels are recording the very things that we do in this life down to our very thought life. Our actions, the things done in secret, the thought life, the things that nobody knows, the things you, you carry. Look, this is very scary for me because I've done some things in my life that I don't know. I don't even want to think about them. But it's been recorded. Isn't that something to imagine for a moment? Everything is naked and open before the Lord. There's not a thing you've ever done, said, or thought. Remember, Jesus even said that we have to give an account for every idle word that is spoken. So we need to be careful with our words. You know, the Bible says these things, everything, nothing has escaped 
God through all the ages. Isn't that a scary thing? Because I can hide from you the things I don't want you to know. But before God, it all will be exposed. There is nothing that will be hidden on this day. And the court has been seated. And all will be there. The angels, the saints, the dead standing before the throne. And it says here that they are being judged according to their works by the things which are written in the book. We're going to get to why in a moment. Now, notice it says there is another book. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Yes. It's the book of life. And the book of life is, is a wonderful thing. And, and, and later we're going to see as we go through this, we're going to find out um, before we end and I want you to look at it now. Verse 15 says, anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. And so the book of life then becomes a very important aspect here because those who are written in the book of life are not being judged on this particular day. Well, wait a minute. Who gets written in the book of life? Well, listen, it seems that all names start out being written in the book of life. Psalm chapter 69, verse 28 tells us, let them be blotted out of the book of the living, Old Testament, the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. So the Old Testament prophet seems to say that there's a book of the living in which at the end the righteous remain, some potentially may be blotted out. So it seems that the names of all human beings are recorded in the book of life. That's a wonderful thing to begin to imagine. Now, some will say, well, this must, some who want to justify the murder of babies in the womb would say that this must take place at birth, a person's written in the book of life. And as a father, I don't think that's necessarily the case because when my son was born and they took him over to the warming table and just seconds after he came out of the womb with all the gook still in his eyes, he couldn't see. And I went over and I called his name and he stopped crying and looked for me because he already knew me. That was a familiar voice. My daughter, six weeks early, held my little pinky. I couldn't hold her because she was attached to all these tubes, but she could hold me and she recognized me immediately. And I believe that their names were written at conception. I believe their names were written at conception. But wait, that's such a limited view that I have of God if I believe that even. Because the Bible actually tells us, listen, that we were predestined, even chosen by God before the foundation of the world. So therefore, our names were written, listen, before the world began. That means, listen, that all names are written from the beginning, and therefore God even knows those who are going to be born and is waiting on the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. In other words, God waited because our names were in his records. His books are thorough, and on Judgment Day, he's reconciling them. In fact, the Bible actually says, and we've seen it in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, it says, The beast that you saw that was, that is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel, notice, whose names are not written in the book of life. But notice it's from the what, y'all? Foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. In other words, from the foundation of the world, your name was written in his books, yet you not being born but the Lord already knew you. Isn't that amazing to begin to, to fathom? Wait, this is amazing. This means that God knew every last one of you in this room, every last person that got saved last week, 
names written, God knowing who they are and what he's going to do in their lives because he is sovereign and stands outside of time. And I'm blessed by that because my God knows me. He waited on me and he has plans for me. And the same is for every last one of you. So look, it seems names can be blotted out. Psalm 9.5 says, among other places, it says, you have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, you have blotted out their names forever and ever. Revelation 3.5, Jesus says, uh, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will notice not blot out his name from the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father, and notice, and before his angels. And I love this. And so on this day of judgment, when the, it seems a picture is being painted for us, that names are being called, if you will. And as these names are being called, it's almost as if uh, they go to the book of life to see if the name is there. And if the name is in the book of life, the Lord Jesus is confessing it as this one is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But if the name is blotted out and not found in the book of life, then the other books are open. And when the other books are open, you're in trouble if your name's not in the book of life because then you're judged. They will be judged. The dead will be judged by their own works and not by the finished works of Jesus Christ on the cross. And see, here's the scary thing we got to think about. When their works are read, some of their works, by our estimation, will be good works. They'll read the works. They'll call a John Smith. If there's a, if there's a John Smith in the room, I don't know that, okay? I don't mean to <laughs> pick on you. They'll read John Smith's works, and maybe some of his works are good. John Smith always said yes to the cashier at Lowe's Food when she asked if he wanted to donate to the poor and the hungry. John Smith actually gave to the poor, and he did good things. He cut his neighbor's grass and uh, he generally all around had some what we would estimate as pretty good works. And the issue is that's not, that's not what qualifies for eternal life. The Bible is very clear. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. Amen. amen. And none of, look, the Bible says our, right, our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. We looked at that in Isaiah. So therefore, if left to ourselves, even the best of us can't come up with works that are good enough on judgment day to get you transferred back into the book of life. Does that make sense? There's only one work that keeps your name in the book of life, and that's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who paid for all of our sins. And on this day, that's the only thing that's going to matter because the truth of the matter is some people on that day who will be judged, their, the estimation of their life according to the works may look better than mine. And the only reason on that day that I will not be judged is because my faith is in none other than my Savior, my Lord, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for my sin. And now I have new life in him, and I am what I am by his grace. Amen? That's why we're saved. And so, in fact, only those names that are written in the book of life will be able to enter our eternal home. Revelation 21, 27 on the screen says, but there, and this is speaking of the new Jerusalem, there shall by no means enter, in, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie even, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And how do I get my name written in the Lamb's book of life? I responded 
to the gospel message. I confess my sins to Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the son of God who came to heaven, came to earth and put on himself this type of flesh and lived a perfect life and laid that perfect life down because the, the, the sacrifice for sin had to be perfect and only Jesus was perfect. We know all of that, right? And so therefore, upon salvation, my name was written in the book of life. In fact, last Sunday in the parking lot, names were added to the book of life. And the good thing about your name going in the book of life, Satan can't go in and erase it. In fact, the Bible says, those whom the Father has given me, Jesus says, no one can pluck them out of my hand. They're secure, right? I always tell you that. And Jesus says, even, even my Father who is greater than me, no one can pluck them out of his hand. And so there's a security. Jesus has his own black book, if you will, with your name in it and probably your picture, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and no one can change that. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. So notice the dead are judged according to their works by the things which are written in the book. Verse 13 says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Notice, death and Hades delivered the dead who were in them. So all, uh, if you will, this is the second resurrection coming into play. We talked about the resurrection last Sunday. Literally, uh, death and Hades, the holding cell, where people who have rejected Christ have been held throughout this time, waiting for this judgment day, are brought before him. Even the sea uh, has given up their dead. And so there's a full resurrection coming in. And this is good to take note of because there's always at least one person who comes up to me and asks me, well, Pastor Kevin, how does the resurrection work? If somebody fell off the boat, off the Titanic, got eaten by the shark, and he pooped them out along the way around the, the planet, how does this resurrection take place? It's because God is higher than us and able to do anything, right? We know that. So the sea gives up its dead. Look, God, look, God could take a brand new scoop of dirt and, pl and plug in your genetic information that he created and recreate you from a brand new pile of dirt. Okay, all of your genetic material that is spread through the earth, he could bring it all back together. If God spoke all things into existence, the resurrection is nothing for him. We know that, right? Instead, therefore, the sea is going to give up the dead that are in it. The death in Hades will deliver up the dead that are in them. They'll all be brought before this great right throne, and they were judged. Notice verse 13, each one according to his own works, because he didn't believe in the one and the, the, the most important work of Christ on the cross. And so verse 14 tells us, then death and Hades, and we're going to look at what the final sentence is here. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And notice this is the second death. In other words, those who are judged on judgment day, listen, they not only experience the first death, as many of us may experience the first death. If we're not alive when the rapture comes, we all will experience the first death. That's the death of the physical body. Do we understand? The second death is to be cast into the lake of fire, which is far worse. You see, for those of us who believe, the first death is really not a death. It's a moving. Because the Bible is very clear that if we are absent from the body, we're present with and that's instantaneous, it seems, as Jesus tells us a story in Luke chapter 16 of a poor beggar named Lazarus who believed but died. 
And the Bible says there was an angelic host that escorted him into the place which God had prepared for him, which then was the Old Testament, Abraham's bosom. Y'all remember that, right? It was instantaneous. There was no separation from God. There was no experience of darkness and torment and fear, but he was ushered immediately into the presence of God. So for those of us who believe the only agonizing part of death is the process of getting out of here. It's the most aggravating process. As I've been there with people who are dying, and, and I'm like, man, I wish you could just you know, like, not have to do this part. It breaks my heart as I see a man dying of cancer, and he's struggling because he doesn't want to leave his, you know, his, his loved ones behind. And we're having that struggle, and then he lets go, and bam, he's into the presence of God. And it's amazing every time because at that very moment, I know where he's at. And I know that I'll see that person again. But see, those who have rejected Christ, the dead, not only will experience the death of the body, but then they'll experience this next part of death, which is that they were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But I, I don't want you to miss this. This is not the type of death that the Jehovah's Witness talk about, a soul sleep where you go into this non-existent state, if you will. Or it's not the kind of death that the Mormons or even even in some camps, the Catholics who teach purgatory may mention that there's a separate holding cell that you can kind of camp out in until things get right and then you can get out. No, 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 none of that happening either. No, this is a death where the person will be tormented forever. Look back with me in chapter 20 here. And go over to verse 10, which we covered weeks ago. And notice in verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Notice where the beast and the false prophet are. If you remember, I told you are, meaning that they were still alive in the lake of fire after the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, right? You remember that? So at that point, they had been there for a thousand years. We know that. But notice this, and they will be tormented. Day and night for how long? Forever. That's the reality. So the lake of fire which burns forever and those souls which have rejected Christ go there and there is an eternal torment. There's an eternal torment. There is no sleep. Jesus says that flame never goes out. This is a torment forever, and I want you to catch that picture, not because I just want to be a hell and brimstone type of preacher, but because I want you to understand that this is the reason why there is such a battle today for souls. This is why the battle gets so intense now when we do outreach. It's because the time is drawing near and the deception is growing because the Bible says that things will become way more deceptive towards the end. And the Bible is very clear, even says that God will send a strong delusion because they, receive the, they refuse to receive the love of the truth. We're headed into the most dangerous times that have ever been seen upon this earth as we draw closer to this end. And so the battle for souls is becoming way more intense than it ever has been before. And many are going to refuse Christ and find their eternal destiny to be the lake of fire. Verse 15 says, and if anyone and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the sentence. Death is an eternal separation from God. 
and his torment in the lake of fire. And God didn't create all of this for, for that purpose. He desires all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of truth. But many will reject him because he's not going to force. He hasn't created us to be robots. We know these things, right? I'm just rehearsing a lot of things that we've been talking about. There's a battle for souls. It is more important than anything else. The battle for souls is way more important than anything you see on the, on the, uh, on the entertainment called CNN or Fox News. I don't, we don't have a lot of journalism left anymore. So you have entertainment owned by private companies. And they convince people of things that they want people to believe. And through fear tactics, they have the church divided and people focused on the wrong things. And that's the reality. But the battle is for life with Christ or lake of fire for eternity. That's what this is all about. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. There's only, and look, he's only left us here to be his witness until he sees that the time is up and he snatches the church out of here. Y'all know that? Everybody's going to die, but we get to live for eternity. Everybody will experience the physical death, but we have eternal life. So the battle is for that. The battle is not for this life. In fact, Jesus says, if you love this life, you'll lose your life. But if you hate this life, you gain eternal life. And that's a hard thing to, to swallow, taking up your cross every day and following him. Because, you know, we want to enjoy what we have here. And we, we, he wants us to. He blesses us. How many of y'all are blessed? I know I'm blessed, man. Yes, I am. And so it's like, Lord, I'm blessed. But so much more is ahead. And so then with that thought process, what wins inside the heart is then I should live this blessed life glorifying him that more people may come to know him that's what it's all about y'all and when we get to heaven we'll realize the importance of the time that we have now and 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 what i don't want is for you to have a moment of regret that the lord is going to comfort us there he'll wipe away every tear we know that right but what we'll see then is the reality of what was going on down here if the if the lord were to pull back the scene we couldn't stomach it by the way so that's why it's veiled. We couldn't stomach if he would pull back the scene and we would see the spiritual battle that's taking place behind the scenes, even at this very moment as you bow your head and close your eyes. And that spiritual battle is very, 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 very real. People are lost in this world and have no hope, and they're looking and searching for something, and we have those answers. And maybe that's you in the room today. Maybe you're searching for hope and a peace that I am here to tell you, you can find, but it can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, that you may have eternal life, that he may not only forgive you of your sins and promise you that, but even now pour his spirit out into your hearts, connecting you with him and transforming your life even now today. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's someone in the room who would say, Pastor Kevin, I've, I hear that. I desire salvation. And I desire my name to be written in the book of life. Please, out of respect, bow your heads. And there are some men moving who are coming up to be here to pray. But everybody else, bow your heads for me. If that's you in this room, then I don't want you. I want to tell you the truth. The truth is tomorrow is not promised. The truth also is Satan wants you to believe his lie that the Lord doesn't care for you. And that this thing that that old preacher up there is talking about is not real. And have you just go out and live life as normal. And I know most of you in the room know the Lord. Many of you I know. 
But if there's one or two here who do not, then today is a day for you to be reconciled to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you raise your hand, I will pray with you today to receive him, that you may have eternal life, that your name may be written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, Father, we thank you. You can raise your hand if that's you. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be here. We thank you for, Lord, just your faithfulness through these times. Thank you for those who have gathered. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us not only through worship now, but through time of fellowship, Lord, that you would prepare us for the week that is ahead, that you would be with us and keep us and strengthen us, Lord God, that we may represent you as we live this life for you. We thank you for the air which is in our lungs. We've been singing that today. The air that is in our lungs is given to us by you. The strength that are in our legs come from you, Lord God. You are our sustainer, our God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.